0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Am, I, am I loud and clear? That's good. It's a good start. So this is Remembrance Sunday. very um, sobering time of the year. Very poignant. I feel like like many of you, I've been hearing stories over the last few days about courage, valor, honor, sacrifice. and heartbreaking, inspiring in impossibly difficult circumstances. When I'm hearing these stories of remembrance, I'm always drawn to the music of that time. So those wartime songs, you know, Dame Vera Lynn, We'll Meet Again, Bluebirds Over the White Cliffs of Dover. And I think of the Cole Porter song Every Time We Say Goodbye. There's a line in that song that says, there is no love song that's finer but how strange the change from major to minor. In the context of that song, going from major to minor is a sad thing. But as we've been discovering in the last few weeks in the series that we're doing, major in the minors, spending time in the company of the minor prophets is not a sad thing. It's a good thing. It's a great thing as we've been discovering. So today, we are closing our journey through the book of Haggai. So two weeks ago, Dom started with a really um, instructional and insightful sermon on his priorities, showing us how we need to align our priorities with God's priorities. And then last week, Sam gave us a really inspiring and encouraging preach on the Spirit of God being with us and how that empowers us to be bold. If you haven't heard any of those sermons, please do listen to them, because they are Really, really they'll really bless you. I was really blessed to hear those from those guys. So uh, today we are closing with part three of Haggai, which is the blessing of integrity. So if you don't know me, my name's Darren, and I've been here quite a few years. Um, when I was down, when I saw I was down to speak on Haggai today, here's what my first thought was: Oh no. Oh, no, Haggai. Like, do I even know where Haggai lives in the Bible? I knew he was in the Old Testament somewhere, probably in the, in the second half somewhere, vaguely, but if you had told me that he was in between Zephaniah and Zechariah, it wouldn't have been of much help to me. Haggai. And so, um, <laughs> I knew it was going to be a challenge, because the truth is, I don't spend that much time in the company of the minor prophets. When I'm reading scripture, I like to spend time in the company of the big guns, you know, the heavyweights, guys like James or Daniel or John. Haggai is very much an afterthought for me. And then I saw that we, were down, we had been down to do this over three weeks, because Haggai is two chapters, 38 verses. It's a short book, you blink and you miss it. I thought, how are we going to get three weeks of sermons out of a short book like that? I thought, well, we're really milking this, aren't we? We're really stretching this one out. But as I got deeper into the book, I realized, well, actually, we've stopped short at three sermons. We could have got a lot more out of this book. And I just I discovered how incredible this book is, because it's a timeless truth, which is as relevant today as it was when it was written back in 520 BC. It's as relevant to us today. So we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 2, 10 to, verses 10 to 19 today. But before we do that... Um, Just a quick recap, really, on the story so far. So here we are. So the Israelites returned home after being held captive in Babylon for 70 years. They spent years rebuilding their homes and livelihoods, but they hadn't rebuilt the Lord's temple. Their priorities were misplaced. The Lord spoke to the people through the prophet Haggai, calling them to obey him by rebuilding his temple. The people obeyed and work on the temple began. However, the quality of their work was poor and the Lord was displeased. The Lord called the people to be bold, declaring that his spirit was with them and that he would fill this new, greater temple with his glory. Now, I just want to comment on the name Haggai, because his name means festive or festival. And so it's a cause for celebration. So while this book is full of instruction and chastisement, because the people haven't done what they're supposed to do, quite frankly. It's a cause for hope and celebration, as we will see. So going to read now uh, from chapter 2, verses 10 to 19. I'm reading from the NIV this morning. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of twenty measures, there were only ten. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were only twenty. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew and hail. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on... From this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. Lord, we thank you for these words. We thank you for this book, Lord, this book, which is not just a book, Lord, it's, it's your word. It is you speaking to us. And I pray this morning we would get a renewed sense of the heart you have for us and of your grace. In Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. So this morning, I've got two points for you from these verses. Number one, distractions contaminate. And number two, obedience to God brings blessings. So if we could have the next slide, please. Thanks, Josh. So distractions contaminate. Just taking a few of the verses here and breaking it down to some areas. So if we look at verses 11 to 13, Ask the priests what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, No. Now, at first glance, it's a bit of an enigma, isn't it? It's a bit of a mystery. Why, why are they talking about meat and consecration in the context of building a temple? At first glance, you think, well, that's a bit bit unusual. But this reference really stems from the book of Leviticus, so the third book of the Old Testament, which describes in detail the moral customs and traditions and the rituals that had to be observed as part of the Jewish law. So the people here would have been very familiar with these requirements. So they would have known the answer to these questions. So God is asking Haggai, to ask the people this question in the form of a parable so they would understand the meaning of what was going to come next so what's it saying here ask if a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garments so consecrated means something that's blessed something that's sacred something that's holy so an example here if i carried if i had some holy meat in the fold of my jumper and the fold of my jumper touches this lectern does does the holiness of that meat get transferred to this no it doesn't so that stays as it is. So holiness is not contagious. It doesn't spread. And it carries on in verse 13. If a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? So if I were to touch the dead body and then I touch this, does it become. Is the, is the unholiness transferred to this? Yes, it is. So here, holiness is not contagious, but unholiness is it spreads, it contaminates, it pollutes. Now, I spent quite a few years working in a pharmaceutical environment, as I know some of you here do, and one of the things that we had to do, because I was working with medicines, we had to make sure that there was no cross-contamination from one batch of medicine to another. A very critical thing. So we had to say, what are some of the risks if there's contamination? Well, someone could die. If they've got the wrong medicine that they've prescribed, And because of your negligence, you haven't made sure that the correct medicine goes in the right area, it could cause a fatality. So there was a process called a line clearance in between batches of medicine, where everything had to be thoroughly cleansed. So that includes the paperwork, the computer software, any signs relating to a batch, it's the drug itself. Very thorough procedure, um, very, very critical. If things went wrong, not, not only would a patient potentially be harmed, you would have Share prices going down, get out in the news, company reputation—it's a complete nightmare. The contamination, really big deal, really big no-no. So, but what does this got to do with a temple being built? Well, this in this illustration, what Haggai is saying here is that that temple, which has been, which is kind of an afterthought, it's not been built properly. If we we go back earlier into the book, it shows how the people actually have made an attempt at building the temple, but it's not an honourable attempt. It's a half-hearted afterthought. So it's essentially as good as a dead offering. It's like it, it defiles the people because it's not done with the right heart. So verse 14. So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord, whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. This temple was contaminating the whole community. So everything they did was dishonorable to God because it wasn't being done with the right attitude or the right heart. It was lacking in passion. So everything they did and everything they offered was unacceptable due to their lack of sincerity. Have you ever received a compliment from somebody which was not sincere? Maybe they said, oh, I love your hair today. I get that a lot, as you can imagine. Yeah? (laughs) Oh, I love, I love, I love your, your outfit, or I love this thing that you've done, I love this cake you've made, I love this paint, this picture that you've painted, but you've known it's not sincere. You can see through that, and you can say, Oh, this person's just lying to me. They don't mean what they say at all. How, it's actually quite offensive, isn't it? So how do you imagine God felt when he saw this temple, which was supposed to be a sincere offering, but he saw it wasn't? Because they were putting their own priorities first, focusing on their own needs first. This was an afterthought. It's quite an insult. That's why it's, God sees that. He says, "Oh no, it's unacceptable to me. I don't want that. That's defiled. And everything these people do is defiled." Because, and why was the temple so important? Because it was the physical proof of their heart for God. It was the physical proof of these people's heart for God. It was the dwelling place of God in their community, and the fact that they weren't—they were not willing to construct this properly in a way which was befitting and honouring to God, it meant that all their efforts were defiled, and that pollution, that contamination, spread. So the people's stubborn disobedience robbed them of the blessings God wanted to give them. If we look at verses 15 to 17. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of twenty measures, there were only ten. When anyone went to a wine-bat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. So these people's attempts, so they were, it says here, trying to draw out a bat of wine to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. They're being short-changed. All their efforts are in vain. They're not getting what they expect. But Why is that? Is it because God doesn't like them? No. It's because, it's because God loves them. God loves them so much, he's trying to get their attention. When their efforts are failing, God is hoping that they're going to turn, turn to him and say, oh Lord, look, we've neglected you. But they're not doing that, they're stubborn. They keep refusing, and so they keep drawing stuff out, and they're and, and only getting half measures. They're not getting the, the full intent of what God wants to, to bless them with. And it's because God loves them, that he's allowing them to be short-changed in that, so that he wants them to turn back. But he says here, Yet you did not. I struck all the work of your hands. Yet you did not return to me. Sometimes God will do that. He will, He will seek to get grab our attention in ways. So uh, contamination um, can take our eyes off the Lord. We've been hearing about how keeping our eyes on God brings peace. Keeping our eyes on Jesus leads us to peace contamination can cause us to take our eyes off Jesus. And it can be instant, and it can be a gradual thing. Certainly, gradually, I remember I've been in situations where I've been... One particular example springs to mind. I was very close to somebody, had a very very deep friendship with somebody. And I was kind of where God wanted me to be, which was here. And everything was kind of okay. And then gradually, almost imperceptibly, I found I was being drawn away. Very gradually, not not consciously, but then I woke up one morning and I realized, wow, I, I've, I've really wandered off the mark here. And why is that? And when I had to question the kind of the company I was keeping and what I was doing, I realized, wow, I've, I've, I've drifted. Of course, and I need to get back. I need to get back online here. Now, when these people were constructing the temple, their intent was good. I imagine their intent was they were tr- going to try and please God. And they've wandered, of course. They've put their own needs in front, so they've, it's a token obedience. It's not a real, not a real obedience, which is why it's defiled. And so it can be a gradual thing, but it can also be an instant thing. Uh, a few weeks ago, I mean, we know we know scripture says, "Perfect love casts out all fear." Well, I'm going to give you a quick story of how fear can cast out love. But if you allow it to, if you allow fear to contaminate your life by taking your eyes off the Lord. I um, had some chest pains a few weeks ago. And, ooh, a bit weird, but typical bloke, just ignore it. you know. And then they started spreading. Went to my jaw and, and down my left arm. And I thought, that's a bit weird. But, you know, it'll just pass. And I wasn't gonna Google it, you know, I just thought, no, nah, I'm not gonna, you know, Google's bad news for things like that if you start looking, so I uh, thought, no, I just ignore it. and. Um, and then on a Facebook, I, got, I, got, I was in a group chat on a Facebook thing, and one of those things that goes around that people forward it, it came across describing my very symptoms, saying that if you've got this, it's a really bad heart condition. And I was like, oh my goodness. Oh, panic. And I went to Lister Hospital, A&E, and I remember um, I have, my footsteps have never been so heavy in my whole life. I remember walking into A&E, just the fear and I, I could barely, I could barely move, and I was downcast. And I saw the receptionist at A and E, quickly told her what my, my symptoms were, but, and she gave me this receipt. And I went and sat, sat down. But and they saw me really quickly. So I thought, oh, they must think this is really bad because it was really A and E was really busy. I didn't have to wait that long. I was waiting, but after about 20 minutes, they saw me, and I thought, wow, this is this has got to be really, really bad. So they were giving me all these all these an uh, ECG, blood pressure, and all this, and blood tests, and while I was in the waiting room, I, I didn't know what anxiety was until then. I, I, I hear the word anxiety, you know, and, but I've never been able to relate to that because I've never been anxious or worried. I'm not somebody who really gets anxious about things. But then I understood what that meant. And I just thought, wow. I kind of had my whole life flash before me while I was waiting for these results, and I thought, well, okay, Lord, if this is, if this is, this is what you want, uh, but well, it didn't feel right. It just felt completely wrong you know, in every aspect. I thought, no, this can't be. This cannot be. Be it. You know, I'm, I'm fairly, I'm fairly healthy, and you know, I'm no saint, but I'm fairly. You know, I eat my bed, my five a day, and whatever. And um, I um, then I thought, well, I, I need to focus. While I was in, in, in the waiting, I, I thought I need to focus. I've been. I, this fear was contaminating every every fiber of my being. I have to refocus on the Lord. How do I do that? How do I get my my Perspective back when I am feeling so dark and so 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 afraid. Scripture, I remember just called to mind some scriptures. I know God um, has got a future and a hope for me. That He'll keep me in perfect peace if my mind is stayed on Him. But I need to be still and know who He is. That no weapon formed against me will prosper. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Standing on these scriptures, I began to feel peace. And I found that my perspective was back on the Lord, and I got a renewed sense of His love for me, even in that darkness, and the fear, the contamination began to to ease. So even before I got the results from the doctors, I was like, I felt better. I knew I knew God was sovereign and in control of it. Didn't understand it, but of course they they, they came back and said, "Yeah, there's nothing wrong with you, nothing at all." I said, "Are you sure? Like, how do you explain this then?" And they're like, "No, no, we can't we can't find anything wrong with you. Just just go away and you know." Chill for a bit, kind of okay. And but I, I believe God allowed me to spend a few hours in that scenario so that I could have a greater heart for people with anxiety. Because I I say I, I, had no, I couldn't really relate to that, but now I can. So now I can. Um, but definitely um, contamination. Just getting back, getting back to where God wants me to be. Getting back to so my focus is on Him and not on myself. See, and I think what God showed me was the definition of anxiety is taking your eyes off God putting your eyes on yourself. Because you're so weak, you can't fix your own problems. God can fix your problems. So a way to to overcome anxiety is just to focus on him and take your eyes off yourself and off your own weaknesses. Clear that contamination. So if we um, could have the next one, thank you. Now, this building, you can see that. If you know what this building is, can you put your hands up? Hi, so I can see him. Okay, so, so most people in here know what that building is. Okay, thank you. You can put your hands down. Now, if I asked you this question, do you know why this building was constructed? Does anyone know the, the story of the, of the construction? Okay. Less people. I was hoping more people would put their hands up because so, it kind of weakens the point a little bit. But So, obviously, this is the Taj Mahal, and it was built... Um, by a Shah for his wife, in memory of his wife. Now, could you imagine if this building, which is one of the most famous buildings in the world, had been constructed in a half-hearted manner? If that had been like a shoddy construction and kind of like an afterthought and there hadn't been any pride or passion put into it. Could you imagine what that would have said about the guy's love for his wife? It would have made a mockery of that affection. It would have been quite an insult. It would have been a blot on the landscape, wouldn't it? Um, I've got a quote here from the poet um, Edwin Arnold, who describes the Taj Mahal as, not a piece of architecture, as other buildings are, but the proud passion of an emperor's love wrought in living stones. So where was the passion of the people in the construction of the Lord's Temple? Where was it? was completely absent. There was no passion there. Could you imagine if the Galleria down the road here was knocked down or there'd been, something happened and it had been uh, removed and a company came and said, oh yeah, don't worry, we're gonna rebuild the Galleria. Imagine if they rebuilt it and there was nothing more than like, you know, a bunch of corner shops cobbled together. You would've thought, well, well, that's not, this is worse than the previous Galleria, you would say. And it would completely undermine and erode any trust you had in the people who'd reconstructed that, that building. you'd say, well, where's their commitment to that? The, 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 it's, it's, it's a, a blot on the landscape. If it was a really hideous building, oh, that's, that's a contamination on the landscape of Hatfield. Where is that? So this is kind of um, what the temple, the state of the temple was. It was, it was defiling um, everything that these people were doing in the eyes of the Lord. So if we could have uh, the next slide, please. Thank you, Josh. So obedience to God brings blessings. So there is a turnaround here, which changes everything for the people. Now, what starting is is to note the date. So this chapter begins on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius. Now, historians have been very um, able to date this book with accuracy using modern dates. So the, beginning, the whole beginning of the book of Haggai starts on the 29th of August, and it ends, it ends on the 18th of December. So it's a 15-week period. So this whole book takes place over a period of 15 weeks. And dates are really important. I love the precision and accuracy of the dates in this book that historians can attribute to it. It kind of anchors it in in some sort of reality that we can relate to in terms of the dates. I find dates really significant in, in scripture and just in my own life. What I do here, I have this book, this notebook here, which I keep, especially for the times when anybody has had a word for me, a word of encouragement, a picture, a scripture, a prophetic word or something. I write down the date in here and I write down the name of the person, and where this word was given to me, I find it really helps uh, as a reference on my own sort of walk with the Lord. I look back on it, and it's really encouraging to see how God has spoken to me, and through many of you. So some of your names will be in this book, um, and where and, and how, and the situation where a word was brought forward for me. Sometimes I understand the word, sometimes I don't. Sometimes it takes time, can take years for them to come to fruition. But I have a record of them here, which is a real encouragement to me. It really kind of gives Me a boost on the sort of darker days. I look back and oh, Wow, God, yeah, you had this for me. What does it mean? Kind of encourages me to kind of uh, pursue Him uh, and find out what, what more He was saying to me. So, the date here is significant, it marks a new beginning for the people. And in this passage, it's listed there's three references on the, on the verse 10, the 24th day of the ninth month. In verse 15, God says, Now give careful thought to this from this day on. And in verse 18, from this day on, from the 24th day of the ninth month, which is the 18th of December, the equivalent. So God's really emphasizing that date. It's like three times so repeating the emphasis or focusing on that day, because it, it's a day, it's a reset button. It's a day when everything changes for these people. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. That's how things were before, but things are changing on this date. Things are changing. From this day on, verse 18. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. See, now the people have made a new commitment, which is symbolized by the laying of the new stone. Things will change. God's favor will be released on them, and the people will bear fruit. So instead of the half measures that they've been getting out, now, they're at, now they've turned back to the Lord, and their attitudes are right before Him. When they expect 50 measures, that's what they're going to get. They're going to get 50 measures. God's going to bless them. And the culminating verse: from this in verse 9, from this day on, I will bless you. From this day on, I will bless you. So it's not like, oh, you've turned back to me, so I'm going to bless you at some point in the future. No, it's on that very day. The very day that they decide to come back to God, that's the day he says, right, from this day on I will bless you. It's an instant thing. Because now their offering is sincere. It's being done with the right attitude, with the right heart. So God's response to obedience here leads to instant blessings for his people. So, so in the 15-week period in the book of Haggai, we've seen the people drift, kind of focusing on their own priorities, Haggai speaking to the people, and they've kind of come halfway and, and done a half-hearted attempt, and then Haggai spoke gone back to the people, and they finally decided, yeah, we, we're going to do it properly. And it allows God to then open up the storehouse of blessing upon them. So what about us? How does this apply to us? And what does, what does this book tell us? Well, it's a cause for celebration, as Haggai's name implies, because it shows us that we can wander off course, do our own thing, and guess what? The moment we decide to come back to God, he's like, yeah, come, I've got blessings for you. He, he, he waits for us to come back to him with open arms. It's a, it's a, it's a message of grace. Haggai is a book of priorities, but ultimately, it's a book of God's grace, a reminder of God's grace to us. We can wander off course, but He's always waiting for us to come back. He says, "Come back, come back." So, have you have you wandered off course lately? I know I've wandered off course loads of times, and God's God's been so gracious to me, continues to be graceful to me, and I know I can just He just calls calls me back, and I come back, and. The moment that we choose to turn our hearts back to Him and align ourselves with His priorities is the moment that things begin to change. There's there's no delay. In James 4:8 it says, "Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Not He might, not he, not He might draw near to you. He, he you know He might draw near to you if you come back. No, He will draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Now, as we saw um, earlier in the book of Haggai about having our own needs and priorities. Of course, we have busy lives. We have needs that have to be met. So you might think, well, it's natural that we should focus on our own needs first, and then God can come after. But it's not what Jesus says. In Matthew 6, when Jesus tells us about not worrying, Matthew 6, 33, the Lord Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. But seek God first. Um... I'm, just, I'm trying to remember a, a line from a Keith Green song. Um, it'll come to me in a minute. Um, Keep doing your best, pray that it's blessed, Jesus takes care of the rest. Uh, it's a great song. Um, now, um, so, so it's, it's simple. God loves us, and he wants us to come back to him. Wherever we are, however far you think you've wandered, it isn't, it isn't beyond God's reach. You can't surprise God. You can't fall so low that God can't catch you, bring you back up. You can't wander out of, beyond his sight sees you and loves you, knows you, knows you better than you know yourself. So you cannot escape him, you can't outrun him, you can't hide from him. So why bother? Just say, here I am, Lord. Here I am, you see me, let me come, you know, take me back. And he will, he, will, he will always welcome you back. This is what the message of grace that this book reminds us of, which is a really timeless message, really powerful. And it's God's free gift to all of us. We can't earn it, don't deserve it. But he chooses to say, yes, come from this day on, I will bless you. So, if you feel you've wandered off of course, and you want to get back in line with, with, with where God's calling you, or want to get your priorities back with God's priorities for your life, come back to him. Just say, Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. Here I am. I've messed up. God says, yeah, it's okay. Fine. Come back. I love you. I want to bless you. This is the message of the book for me. So, it's timeless and relevant to all of us. So, if you want prayer for anything to do with that, about you want to get, get your heart back aligned with God's heart, you feel you've wandered off course, you don't know how to get back, come and talk to one of the, one of the guys here, one of the, one of the leadership team, or the prayer ministry team at the end, and uh, just be inspired and, and reminded and blessed that God loves us and he wants to bless us. He's not withholding blessings from these people because he doesn't like them. He loves them and he wants to bless them as he wants to bless us today. So be blessed by that.